Hello and welcome to the Church in Action program, where we talk with New England leaders about the imperative to make disciples, do justice, and foster unity to share Jesus to transform New England. This week, we're continuing our conversation on politics with Reverend Dr. Ray Hammond, Senior Pastor of Bethel AME in Boston, and Reverend Enoch Liao, Pastor of Boston Chinese Evangelical Church. Today, we're finishing our discussion on our nation's relationship to energy and concluding with some thoughts on approaching voting for political candidates. We hope you enjoy. We've been having several years worth of, we have a social responsibility emphasis every year. And there are two years about, I think there were two years about climate and environmental stewardship or loving your neighbor, loving your future neighbor um, in terms of our planet. So I, I feel like if a, if a probably conservative immigrant Chinese heritage church talks about the climate, then I feel like, you know, and we're not like on the cutting edge of that. I think, I think at least here in New England and Massachusetts in Boston, we're thinking about um, the economy. And I do think we really need, actually almost everyone I know who bought a car in the last three years was trying to buy an electric car. It's just that to your point, Charles, they're actually luxury items for the most part. Um, but again, that's how it works. You know, you have to make the infrastructure and that's what you're paying for when you bought a Tesla five years ago. You're paying, helping lay down the infrastructure or get the government to give you the money to lay down the infrastructure. So I do think that is coming along. I do think there's an equity issue of, like, like Ray said, like, the countries that are the biggest emitters, their moral argument is, well, you guys are high and mighty because you can make the transition to uh, lesser fossil fossil fuel burning economies. But you just spent a couple hundred years of our planet doing that. And now we're there. We can't go ahead and just get there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if the United States says no drilling here, drill somewhere else. Actually, I think there are a lot of developing nations that would yeah, we got to drill because we got to get through that economic stage of our country's development. Not that economic evolution is linear by any means, but I mean, that's sort of the thing. Um, I guess the theory would be cheap, when cheap I was, energy. Yeah, cheap energy gets you out of poverty. And, it, yep. and they would say it's unreasonable to say you yep. got rich. Yep. Now we can't. Right. But I think and I I feel like I read this somewhere. There is potential for leapfrogging. I mean, here's an example of leapfrog. I don't even know if that's the right term. I've been in various remote parts of the world for missions, work or different things. And. They have no infrastructure, there you go. but they've got cell phones. <laughs> and, and so that's the kind of thing where, you know, you, you've just left a bunch of infrastructure. They never laid cable. They yep. never laid telephone lines. And they actually still do not develop roads, but they're very connected and they can do business and trade and things like that. So I think there's a lot of excitement about what that looks like. But I do think it's about recognizing that, you know, we have to direct resources and money towards new economies. And actually, you know, like a big thing that a lot of people didn't know, at least in my town of Medford, was the... The, I think it's a Massachusetts law or federal law. You have the right to tell your electric company to charge you the same rate or something, but to use renewable sources. Like we did that in Chinatown. We're just, the, the campaign was just tell everyone you have the right to tell your electric provider, you have to do that. And it's basically a comparable rate. And so from, from an environmental justice standpoint, there's no loss to you, but you know how hard it is until, to get until, until, until a cloudy day that's not windy, <laughs> then there's a huge loss to you. Well, no, it doesn't work that way because it's more sophisticated than that, Charles. Like they are tapped into the same electrical grids and that, you know, those, those responses. But, but the basic point is even just getting them to call for all of these issues, it comes down to if it affects you. If it doesn't affect you, yeah. why would you do it? But that's why the Christian yeah. ethic, the theological thing is yeah. for almost all these issues, can you care about your neighbor if it affects them and will never affect you and do you have the energy and time to learn and listen from their perspective from their benefit wisdom even if you don't agree and i think that's what's fundamentally the gospel contribution we have a mandate from heaven to care about issues that don't affect us ever potentially 
And, um, and if the church does that more, I think, you know, all these issues, justice of immigration, justice about environment, I just tell believers, pursue any of them, <laughs> whatever God's calling you, as long as you're out there being salt and light. Yeah. What, and I'm not a young person, but if I were a young person looking dispassionately at the landscape in front of us, I think there is an existential threat, but I don't think it's climate change because I, I think business always, if they're left alone, they'll always find solutions to problems to make money, mm -hmm. right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what businesses do. They provide value to people by making money. So there will be an incentive for them to figure this out over time with new technologies, what have you. I don't think that's true with the national debt. I think that's an existential problem that we're just passing on to the next generation. And well, they should be mad at us about things. that. One, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I think technology is going to be a big player here, but I don't know of very many technological revolutions that did not have governmental support. Deep governmental investment in basic research, early startup, and, yes. and when it's too risky for people who have to report every quarter a profit. So, I think the real model really is communal investment in our future that we then often hand off to the private sector and say, now, now really distribute this, apply it, make it available to people, market it, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that's going to be the future here as well. I don't think it's either or at all. If I think about, you know, the, uh, biotech, if I think about, uh, uh high tech, if I think about railroads or any of a number of other things that we've done over the years, it's never been just the private sector by itself. And the best situations I think are often where in fact the government, all of us contribute in the early stages when it's quite frankly too risky for the private sector. And then yeah. it gets in some ways handed off. And I think that's, that's gonna be true here as well. Um, but the question is, are we willing to make those early investments and bear the startup costs. Some of that's going to be economic. Some of that's going to be in taxes. Um, and and I I completely agree. I'm not. I, I would dis. I would agree with you wholeheartedly on this issue of of the national debt. I mean, I do think. You know, it is it is a burden on future generations in many respects. I mean, again, the problem becomes. <laughs> You know, what what should be the role of government? What should government be involved in? You know, we got a wing of people who said nothing beyond national defense, right? Right? And some, some wouldn't <laughs> even accept exactly that. Right, you know, um, so what, what do we think? And that has changed over time. It's, as a nation, this has changed over time. We, we didn't get Social Security until the Great Depression. There was no presumption that the government should have a floor for workers or the elderly or the, or, or the needy or the disabled. This is, this is all relatively new thinking, which I would agree with. I think this is part of the care for the neighbor ethic. But under that rubric, care for the neighbor, you could, you could pull it, almost anything under that, right? I mean, so what I would argue is that Part of our challenge is to keep talking and sharing with one another about what does care for the neighbor really mean nationally. I can make all my own personal decisions or my family's decisions, but how as a nation are we going to care for the neighbor? Yeah. And so let's, since we're on debt and we've just had an issue where we've taken on a boatload more debt in the span of 
a press release. Uh, we, uh, President Biden uh, forgave a, um, what's now being estimated is almost a trillion dollars of student loan debt. And I, there's a bunch of things in this, uh, but biblically and policy-wise, can you speak to whether, uh, absent this specific policy, is it wise to um, encourage people to take on a bunch of debt and then wipe off some of it and insulate them from the actions of taking on that debt or the benefit of it? And <laughs> answer the inflationary pressure. Put that to the side. So I, I, obviously, um, we left the doc a long time ago when it comes to having genuine knowledge or expertise, <laughs> at least me, on any of these topics. So, so speaking as a parent with a kid in college and Lord willing, a kid in college next year, it's the classic example where some family I know makes way more money than us, spent it all, living very comfortably, and they got a massive pay aid because they don't have the assets or the income. And then you have, you know, other families like ours that are trying to say what you can. And then you get, you know, and you're like, I know you make way more than me, but your kid got way more for school. And this is the way the system is. I, I think this is a really complicated question, but the simple answer I would say is, I think we just, there's two thoughts. One on the one hand, like your bigger question, of course, I mean, you could look at biblically Jubilee, the concept of forgiving debts, but your question's more like, you don't want to enable that. I'm sure Jubilee was abused in the Old Testament. I'm sure someone thought, well, next year's the year of Jubilee, so I'm going to do something to my land or something and it all get redistributed. I'm sure that's all there as well. But I think when it comes to um, the principle of debt relief, it's clearly in the Bible and the burden is borne by you know others and that's the redistribution. Whether that applies to a governmental system to be capitalistic or socialism or communism, then I think that's a separate issue. But I do think that what little I've read about it, it, the indiscriminate nature of that, how do you apply a policy? Because you want to say, well, let's have all these guidelines so you can get this much debt forgiven if you do this or that. But then my understanding as a rudimentary person in government is it's just a simple guideline that is quote unquote common sense in a single household becomes incredibly complicated and burdensome when you try to apply that to a nation. And so I've learned that, you know, it's a quote unquote dumb policy because it it doesn't take into the nuance, but I think on a national scale, it's so hard to do that. So, I, and again, I'm totally not an expert, but um, we we benefited from some of that student debt. We saw a little bit. Um, we don't pay enough. This might offend some people or make some people feel sorry. We don't pay enough taxes to really get the full benefit of that. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I'm sure it's going to make a lot of people happy. But these massive and critical questions. I don't know. And there's the political thing involved with that, you know, because this is this is on the way towards some people would argue this is on the way towards free universal college higher education, which some people totally advocate and other things dumbest idea. So I I think it's hard to see what will happen. But I, I do agree the national debt. I've always actually had a certain degree of concern and not guilt or anxiety, but conviction about it. And it, it seems like this is going to expose my naivete. Is this basically a government sanctioned Ponzi? Like, I don't know. How does that, how, how does that work? Like, I, I don't know. It may be, and it collapses. I, they all collapse eventually. Yeah. So that's why I like, I, I, that's, I, I don't understand. I probably just fundamentally don't get what the repercussions are when our government keeps incurring debt. 
Yeah, sure inf inflation is for sure one of them because they just right. have to keep right. printing currency. So I, I think I see just a host of issues operating in this. I see um, the beneficiaries of this policy are predominantly people who are going to make their incomes, Enoch, to your part, being being funded by or people paying the price of it who never went to college, who paid for their own college, who right, who did all those right things. So I think that's one issue. I think a second issue is I think it's a real problem if one person and maybe this will play out in the courts. If one person, President Biden, can spend a trillion dollars with nobody authorizing that in Congress, nobody approving any funding, that seems to me like a real break in our system. Uh, I think the I think it's always bad to insulate people from their choices. Right. You get bad behavior when you insulate me from the downside of, of the decisions I make. Um, I and I, I think that there's no limiting principle. Because now we waived it for everybody who made up to 100000 Why shouldn't we get let people who have $105,000 in income not pay their debt back? Right. right? And then that becomes one hundred and ten, and that becomes one hundred yeah. and twenty, And now it's just, and, and so, why is it only student debt? Why isn't it medical debt? Right. And why isn't it consumer debt? So, so to argue, because we're supposed yeah. to argue. I just Good, uh, good. Go ahead. I'm not going to really argue. Uh, <laughs> I don't find arguments about the potential arbitrariness of drawing lines persuasive personally. Right? Because you could say that about every law. And I yep. think my, my point earlier is like, you know, you make a case, um, you know, for where that might be. And of course you can always quibble on that, but I think the big concept is there. And there's always going to be someone that said we should have lowered the limit or raised the limit and things like that. Oh, um, oh but my, just to be clear, my point is we will say that. Yeah. That's, well, that's the next, that's step two, then step sure, three, right? Sure. Mm, I don't know. Maybe, I, I guess, I don't know. You probably know more about this, but I, I I'm not so sure. Uh, because I think we have yet to see the political backlash of this, right? This is very well, I, recent. That, that's a fair point. So that's there might be point. a lot more political backlash about that. Yeah, and, and I would I would agree. Um, I'm concerned about the way it was done because I don't think you can build a wall on the border with a presidential um, um, edict Order, or yeah, pronouncement. Yeah. And I don't think Debt forgiveness should be built on the same thing. I, I completely agree with you. And a number of Democrats have sounded that alarm as well. That you know what goes around could come around. And what you what you didn't find tenable on these grounds for the prior president shouldn't change for this president. Yeah, um, we, we seem we seem right to be in a position where both sides want to say this problem is so serious, and those people won't do what I want. Therefore, I'm going to do it even when I've said I don't have the ability, the power to do this. I do right. it. Anyway. Yeah, it's emergency yeah. powers. And, right. As and so opposed that's, to saying, that's, right. Yeah. As, yeah. As opposed to saying our system is if we can't come to agreement in the House and the Senate that some majority or in some cases a, a supermajority, if we can't agree to do something, we've decided to do nothing. Right. And that's going to be where and now persuade other people to your opinion. We don't we seem to have lost that in the conversation on almost everything. Do you am I? That's my observation. Is it is it right or? Well, no, I I think that that's that's often the case, and you know, I mean, there's this again, as I say, gets back to our lack of trust, our division, our polarization, the sense that this or that party has locked up the Supreme Court, locked up the Senate or the House, or um, I mean, I think all of that has led to this kind of escalating set of measures in many respects that people are taking that are extraordinary and um preferably we can come to some me measure of accommodation before 
we go over the cliff. I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I, I mean, I think going back to the debt situation, I, give me an example. I think the notion that we should help people with their education is certainly not new. It was the thrust of the whole GI Bill, which said not only should we help them, and the the proviso was these are people who put their life on the line. Got it, right? They deserve a shot in education. They should have a nice house. Now we won't go into all the racial overtones and who actually got the benefits and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think it was very appropriate. Although a reasonable question is, well, wait a minute. What about the people who stayed behind in the factories and provided the stuff? And you know, I, you know, why why should they be paying, right? So again, I mean. We, we're constantly in these situations where we're we're trying to figure out what's fair, what's equitable, what 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 deserves special consideration appropriately, and why. Um, and it's not a it's not in any way a new debate. And I think the problem is if we if we if we don't constrain ourselves, everybody on every side just keeps pouring more in, whether it's corporate welfare or social welfare or defense welfare, you know, military industrial welfare. Uh, everybody just keeps pouring it because they, uh, you know, until we get a rude awakening that says this is no longer tenable. Unfortunately, we're just not there yet. And you hope we wake up before we get there. I'm not sure we will. I've argued for years that we need to decide how much we should tax, what's fair, and then prioritize our spending within it. We don't want to do. And I've argued that the tax rate should be 10% because I think if God can get by on 10%, we ought to be able to get by on 10%. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a flat I'm, tax I'm, is certainly... I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one, Charles. Man. We kind of we gave up on that back in the Depression, man. <laughs> or just slightly before it. I mean, yeah. no, you know, no. uh, you know, Steve I Forbes have, others were arguing for. I mean, of those to whom much has been given, much is required. Is that a taxation principle? I don't know. You know? I, I was I was even mean just the ten percent being the top end, even if it's progressive, ten percent. If God can get by ten percent, the federal government ought to. <laughs> And keep in mind, God doesn't get 10% because we won't give it to him sometime, right? I hear you, man. No, I, so. that, now, that could be a biblical argument. Why should the government get more than God? Right? That's a fair statement, right? Even if it's progressive, fair enough. Don't leave just yet. We have one more soundbite from our political discussion series that we feel is very important to share with you, even though it didn't quite make it into our other episodes. The following question is one the vast majority of Christians struggle with as we approach voting season and attempt to discern which candidate should have our vote. We pray the following conversation encourages you in that. How should we think about a candidate who we agree with on policy, but character is no good, or we agree with on character and policy is no good? How should we think? And I'm not asking about any specific hand. I think there's enough people with character issues out there that that's a fair question across the board. <laughs> How should we think about voting in that scenario? That's a great question. I think that's what's been leveled in the last several cycles, right? You know, um, from different, well, from all sides, because there have been Christians that have backed presidents from both parties over the years. I think there's a there's a theological tension, or not tension, but tendency where people say, well, if you look at like the pastoral epistles, 
the, you know, it's all about character, all the qualifications of elders and deacons, character, 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 character. But, but actually, it, there is a qualification based upon ability. And that's really less about qualification, but really more about calling. So if you're called to teach, you're called to preach, you're called to lead, those are all things that you, so I think it's both. The perennial question of character versus competency, I feel is a false dichotomy. In fact, that is how we solve the problem of evil philosophically. How can an all good God who knows all things allow so much evil? The traditional answer now is to basically, well, God must not be all powerful or, or really he allows so much freedom that he wouldn't stop the evil. And that's really what a lot of progressive Christianity has today. Uh, I think it's a false dichotomy. And I think you probably have to weigh in any, in every situation. Uh, and it's hard to quantify, but I think you'd have to take every consideration. I don't think it's easy to say character alone. The classic example is, do you want character alone for your surgeon or your pilot uh, or your mechanic? Um, you might say, well, no, if they have good character, they wouldn't fix your plane. Fair enough. But you want competency alone without character, because if they don't have the character, they might shortchange you or they may not fix it properly. So I just think it's a false dichotomy. And I actually do find, mm. I think the whole lesser of two evils may not be a very useful frame of mind. I'm not sure what a better one is, but I think it comes back to what Brother Ray said, who we still love and may not be on the video, but he's still with us. He's working on something for his uh, microphone. But um, I think it's you just do the best you can. And when I disagree with your decision of what's best, ideally, uh, if we have a chance, I'd love to learn why you picked that um, and why that would be the case. So, mm -hmm. so I don't have a simple answer. I actually really think the Bible resists, resists that. In fact, Jesus... It's so frustrating, right? Hey, do we have to pay taxes? I mean, that's the great example, right? And and Jesus said that, you know, which Ray already said, render to Caesar what is Caesar, God unto God. I love that line because first of all, it's just Jesus is showing his mastery in terms of teaching and his thoughtfulness. But actually, I'm really still not sure what exactly that means. I think that's a great like like line. And so so I think if someone says, Can I just vote on character or vote on competency? I think, no, I think I don't think you get to do that. I think you have to weigh it each time. And there's no easy uh, heuristic to make that work. I, I think it meant that believers then had to pay their taxes, but that doesn't apply in all times and all places. <laughs> Welcome. You know, uh, it, I'm, I'm struck that whether we're dealing with pastors or presidents, we're always talking about trade-offs in a sense. And the question is how many, how deep are the deficits versus the strengths? Um, especially in a, in a political context here, if you will, uh, in a secular pluralistic democracy. Um, and, and, and I'd agree with um, um, Enoch's point about the lesser of two evils. Someone said this before, and it, this, I just don't know who to attribute it to. It may have been on the, one of our discussions um, in which they made the point that we may find ourselves in lesser two evil situations, but we're really in trouble if we develop amnesia and ever forget that the choice we made was evil. Um, it wasn't, we, we can't whitewash it. We have to be clear about it and uh, more than ready at any point to stand up and address um, the evils that we see, even if it was the lesser of evils. Um, so again, I, I think this is a, this is a very um, hard situation. I've never had a candidate never with whom I agreed on everything, sometimes quite strongly. Um, but again, 
I'm, I'm recognizing that I live that that candidate's position also represents other people in this country, uh, city, wherever it might be that I live in. And the question is, can we find a way to live together despite those differences? Hmm. Well, well, we'll find out. <laughs> so, guys, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for talking about these issues that aren't always easy and aren't always in our sweet spot, Enoch, to the point you've made a couple of times. But that's the American public, right? We're not all experts on every single issue. And we're not our system is we're not meant to be. That's why we have representative elect, uh, congressmen and senators. And their job is to be the experts. Even when it doesn't work, that's the system. And so uh, so we're meant to stand at a bit of a distance and, and make our best assessment and live our lives and not be obsessed with the politics. So I think it's OK if we don't know everything about every issue. Uh, so for what that's worth, for what I think is worth, that's what I'm worried. But guys, thanks. These aren't easy issues and they're not always easy conversations. But I think we demonstrate we want to. We can talk about these issues and disagree in love and grace as Christians. And I didn't hear you guys say anything that was crazy, evil, or stupid. I hope you didn't hear me say anything that was. <laughs> but you might have. I'm crazy sometimes. Well, you did, Charles, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll add it in the show notes afterwards. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the final episode of our political discussion series with Reverend Dr. Ray Hammond and Reverend Enoch Liao. We hope this dialogue helps us be the people of God who do the work of God, reflecting the love of Jesus even in political conversations and even when things don't go our way in the political arena. Visit visionnewengland.org for past episodes and resources. If you haven't heard our past three political episodes, we've had a number of these political conversations in the past few weeks that you can listen to there. You can also click donate to partner with us to accelerate evangelism here in New England. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Louise Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you, and thanks for listening.